Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul and his writing to us. We thank you that your Holy Spirit promises to speak through your word. Please take this, my words, this morning and the words written in 2 Corinthians and speak to each one of us of your love for us. Amen. I don't know um, in what sort of condition you came to church this morning. For some of us, you will have come in strong faith in God. You will have a strong personal relationship with Jesus. For others of you, for others of us, there may be no faith at all. No relationship with Jesus. Or we may have come with some doubts and fears concerning our position with God. Well, last week, I was worshipping with a group of Christians in Morocco who felt uncertainty, and some were in fear of their position within that country. Because recently, the police had been knocking on doors and uh, visiting some of these Christians and forcing them to leave at almost a moment's notice. And they, quite understandably, were uh, fearful of their situation. This was their reality for them. Well, this chapter in 2 Corinthians helps us to see the reality of life for those who seek to follow Jesus. Faith in Jesus' death for us gives us the hope of eternity. Fixing our eyes upon this rather on the day-to-day problems and doubts that besiege us. So I start this morning by asking the question, how strong is our faith? Do I live my life as all my friends and work colleagues do, based upon the present reality of insecurity of jobs, flights, holidays, families, illness? Or do I have a greater overriding hope that's based upon what I experience with Jesus and his gospel each day? Well, this passage we have in front of us this morning is Paul's account of his life to those young Christians who were in the church at the city of Corinth. Now, if you remember about Paul, what sort of chap was he? Well, he was a well-educated Jewish man, wasn't he? And if you remember the accounts in Acts that he had persecuted the new followers of Jesus. However, we read in Acts that... uh, Paul had met with the living Jesus on the road to Damascus and this experience had given to him a new change of life, a life of preaching Christ to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But as Paul had been preaching Christ, there had been criticisms of him. There had been doubts cast about his ministry and his lifestyle. And so we read in, in this 2 Corinthians his reply to these, to these criticisms. Now in the previous chapter, Paul had compared his new ministry that he had got from God's Spirit to that of the ministry given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And if you remember that account of Moses on Mount Sinai when he'd been given the law of God, Moses' face had shone with the glory of God but it was a fading glory and he had to put a veil over his face. 
And Paul here compares that to the Spirit of God, given which gives freedom as reflected in the glory of Jesus. And this is the hope for the believer. And because of this hope, he writes this chapter that we have in front of us this morning. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, or if you've got them open, it's page 1160, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I've managed in good Anglican fashion to find three points that Paul makes within this chapter. And the first point is this, the hope that Paul has. If you look at verses 1 and verses 17, you'll see this. Paul writes that he has hope because he is a truthful servant of God who has not tampered with the gospel message. No, he states here that he's being truthful to what God had spoken. And because of this, he appeals to the conscience of all men. Now here we've got an example, haven't we, to follow. Being truthful to God's message. Not exaggerating God's message, not claiming more than the gospel does, but equally not claiming less than the gospel does. Paul puts forward the message plainly so that all men can understand it. And surely this is what we should be doing, shouldn't we? This may mean, of course, in different ages or situations that we find ourselves, we have to use different methods, maybe different words, whatever's appropriate for the age in which we live. But we need to tell of the truth spoken by God through Jesus. Now, this may well be a challenge for the church because God's truth won't be politically correct or it won't be often acceptable to people. But however we show God's uh, people God's hope in our lives, we need to do it in ways that are clear and easy to see to others who don't follow Jesus. And we need to do this because Paul recognises that this message of God is often veiled to mankind by the active work of the opposition, that is, of Satan. And that's the message that comes through the teaching of Jesus. If you remember Jesus' teaching in Mark chapter 4, that parable, that parable of the sower. Now, I don't know if you remember that parable. This parable of the sower had the farmer, if you remember, going out into the field and distributing the seed by hand. We saw something of this in Morocco. The fields are small, the ground is good, but the ground is also rocky and stony in different parts. And the farmer distributes the seed out. There's nothing wrong with the message. There's nothing wrong with the seed. Some seed lands on good soil. Some seed lands on poor soil. And some seed brings great return. And some seed brings very little return. Now, the light of the gospel is not evenly distributed. And it's not evenly received. We need to pray, don't we, that the Holy Spirit will be working through that seed being distributed and that men's hearts and minds are being prepared for it. 
And we need, don't we, as we see our young people and our children going out to class each week, we thank them for it. We're grateful for God bringing us all these children. But we need to pray for them that their hearts and minds are not being blinded by Satan because there's a tremendous block that he's working. This is a spiritual warfare that we are in. And so as we live our lives, we need to pray that God's Spirit will be in us on a daily basis. Because it's from this power that we can share and work with others the spreading of the good news. Practically, if we're aware of the opposition to the gospel, this gives us a focus for our prayer life, a focus for our support and work. And so as a church as we consider and pray together concerning what should happen next with regard to the passion for life, we can pray for God's Spirit to be lifting the veil of understanding in people's minds. Now, we mustn't be defeatist, but as we ask our friends to gospel events, as we ask them to try and explain to them concerning Jesus, our prayers can include help against opposition help for clarity that their minds might be opened to the spiritual reality of sin and separation from God. Paul recognises the presence and work of Satan. He does this with regard to his ministry and he commends himself to God and man's conscience. So we see that Paul has hope. He has hope in the gospel message. But secondly, we see that Paul preaches not himself. He says, he writes in verse 5, we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. Look at verses 5 to 7. Now, we lead, don't we? We live in a, in a, a, a super age of, uh, of people who like to be heroes. They want to be the best, and they want a following of people. But here we see that Paul was not trying to become a popular figure with a cult following. No, he was preaching and teaching Jesus as Lord. This means that he was proclaiming that Jesus was to be the Lord of all, the most important in the entire world. And this is God's work because in verse 6 he states, he gave us light to shine through us. So that rather than making himself important, Paul is pointing these Corinthian Christians towards Jesus. And surely, this is what we should be doing. Not pointing people to us, or to the church, but rather to Jesus. We clearly see the need for this, don't we? The church is having a bad press at this time. We need not to preach the church but to point people to Jesus. And he expands upon this point of preaching Jesus and Christ and not himself when he moves on into verses 7 to 12 as he gives us the true situation that he is in. Look at the contrast he gives us between God's power and Paul's situation. He uses images of clay jars or pots. Now, I hope you can see that picture. I think it's just about visible. I took this last week in Morocco, 
clay pots are very evident in Morocco. This was in a marketplace that we went to. And clay pots in the time of Paul were very common to the people at the time. They were everyday items with very little worth. You couldn't mend them when they cracked or broken. They were discarded and they were replaced. And they were often used to show valuable items because valuable items really stood out against the poor clay pots. And they would allow a strong light to shine through them. So they were often used as lampstands or or lamp images. And so often, so Paul here is using them as an example to show the poverty, the cheapness, and the brittleness of human life, and how the power of God's Spirit can be seen to be working through people. All the hope that Paul has comes from God's power and not his human situation. Look at the contrast that he gives us concerning his life. We read, he is hard-pressed, but not crushed. He is perplexed, but not in despair. He is persecuted, but not abandoned. He is struck down, but not destroyed. And Paul is stating here that the human situation is pretty bad for him. In fact, death is often round the corner. But because of this situation, you can see the power of God at work in his life. Paul shows us that the human extremity is often the best situation in which to see the power of work of God at work. Now last week, as I said, I was in, I was in Morocco and last Sunday I was worshipping God in a, in a small church in Morocco. And there the pastor spoke to the congregation the same message. The comfort and help that the all-powerful God can bring. That God holds us in times of trouble. Now in Morocco, some of the Christians have been recently forced to leave the country very suddenly by the police authorities. And there was possibilities that others would also be forced out. There was great uncertainty and some fear. And the pastor pointed to a psalm, Psalm 27, which shows the reality of God and his presence. Well, does this encourage us? If we wish to see God at work in our lives, perhaps we need to have some of the problems that Paul did. If you want to know of those problems, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, where Paul talks about the beatings, constantly being on the move, being in an open ship for a day and a half, being in danger from bandits and his own countrymen. So how can Paul have such an attitude towards life when many of us in the same situation would have at least grumbled and have probably given up? Well, we see the answer to that, don't we, in verses 10 to 12. We read that Paul dies to his body, which is the sharing of his master's, Jesus' earthly expression. Jesus gave up all for mankind, and as his followers, we are called to do the same. But who is going to benefit from this giving up of all? 
Well, Paul writes in verse 15 that they, the Christians in Corinth, will benefit. The grace of God will reach more people and God will be praised. Therefore, writes Paul, despite all these terrible situations, more people are hearing about Jesus and he doesn't lose heart. His hope, his main ambition is that more people will hear the gospel of Jesus. The cost is high, the giving up of himself, but the results are high. More people hearing about Jesus. And so I ask the question of myself, I ask the question to you this morning, is that my aim in life, that more people will hear of Jesus and his offer of salvation from sin? Paul writes in verse 5, we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ. But thirdly, I see in this passage that Paul has the correct perspective on life. Look at verses 16 to 18. Because here we see that Paul shows us the reality of his life. Yes, he is physically wasting away. Life is taking its toll on his body. He is suffering from all the conditions that he has experienced. Now, we don't know, do we, what Paul looked like. But it's easy to imagine that his face must have shown some of the scars of the beatings, the deprivation and the anxiety. And some of us may well identify with this. Again, while I was in Morocco with John Cooper, we met a friend of John's who was, a, uh, I suppose we would call him a subsistence farmer, who was, John reckoned, about 40 years old. Now, I don't know if you can make out that picture. There's John and the, with his back to us, and there's the farmer to the left of him. I don't know if you can make out his face very well because of his cap, but if you looked at his face, you will see the ravages of working in the sun, you know, 12 hours a day, probably for 30-odd years. Aging is a human process at work. But, but, however, Paul adds in verse 16, though we are outwardly, we are wasting away, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. And here we see the change and the challenge and the emphasis from the physical reality to the spiritual reality. And this goes on to explain the change of emphasis in his life. Instead of concentrating upon the physical here and now, he moves to the unseen and the eternal. This, I would suggest, of course, is very difficult for us because we live in a world of the here and now. We live in the world of instant news, instant gratification of the flesh. I notice often, you know, at work that uh, people don't want to spend time in learning new skills. And so we invent ways of doing things quickly. Well, Paul points to the eternal rather than the temporary. And here, of course, is where faith comes in. If you look back to verse 13, Paul writes, I believed, therefore I have spoken. And with the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Faith is what helps us to look for the eternal 
rather than for the temporal or the present. If you want to know what faith is all about, look in Hebrews 11 verse 1, which gives us a great definition of this type of faith. Hebrews 11, 1 says this, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. God's word speaks a lot about the need for faith if we are to please God. Jesus speaks of the importance of having faith if we are to be in the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of man. And can I suggest that faith is necessary if we are to follow Paul's example. As we live in a world which concentrates upon the here and now, the physical satisfaction of life, the commercial consumerism that we live in, we need to be reminded the promises of Jesus that he will return again. He will return again. There will be a second coming. There will be a time of judgment. There will be eternity. Heaven and hell. But how can we know Jesus and his promises for ourselves? Well, we know of the promises of God through spending time with him in prayer, time with him in repentance, as we've done this morning, time with him in taking the sacraments of communion, time with him in reading the Bible each day. We need, don't we, to make the promises of Jesus real in our lives. I'm reminded of that song written by the Gettys, standing on the promises of God. If these promises become part of our minds and our souls, then as hardships come, as problems come in our lives, we can focus on the promises of God. And as we live our daily lives at work, home, college, school, let us practice looking for the eternal, looking for the spiritual, looking for the coming of Jesus and the resurrection of our bodies. Because both of these have been promised in the New Testament for us. But for, but for support, we need, don't we, to believe and to have faith. As followers of Jesus, we can thank God for these promises that comes through our lives that comes to us from God's word. And so, this morning, we've had quite a dense chapter again in Paul's writing. We've seen that Paul has had hope, Paul has taught Jesus Christ, and Paul has had the correct perspective on life. He's set his heart upon these promises, and they have helped him walk the way of discipleship. And they will do the same for us if we take them to our hearts, if we have faith in the kingdom of God, if we have faith that Jesus' promises are real for us today as they were for Paul all those years ago. Amen.